All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Can you describe the rocket, sir? Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Anubis with you on the Mail Time Radio Podcast, episode 85. Sorry, 85. The Hordes of Chaos. The Whores of Chaos. Miss Kitty is a whore of chaos right now. Oh my god. Our cat, she actually conned us today for two breakfasts, which, you know, she's the fattest thing you've ever seen, and of course she wants two breakfasts, but I got up this morning. She's like a hobbit. Yeah. That needs to have 50 different... So we like we even take her food and we split like she's only allowed to eat a certain amount a day so we split it up in multiple servings so she feels like she's getting more <laughs> i woke up this morning we even use a measuring cup like she has a very specific diet like a whole diet and supplement regimen she's old she has arthritis but anyway i get up I go to the bathroom, I hear her meowing, so I feed her breakfast, and I'm like, oh, it's not time for me to get up yet, so I'll lay back down. Anubis gets up, she she does the same thing to him, starts meowing, running around like she's super hungry, so he feeds her too. And then I was telling him, you know, I, I made sure I fed the fatty before I went back to bed this morning because she was starting to meow and make a bunch of ruckus, and he said, wait a minute. I fed her too. Uh huh. She's such a brat. So, anyway, welcome to the Hordes of Chaos. <laughs> so, a lot of uh, new music to get to today. Uh, a lot of great stuff lined up for you. Also, got some stuff from some labels Quabar PR, Inverse, Grand Sounds, uh, and much, much more there. Um, in fact, I have a lot from Grand Sounds. They've been sending me, they always send me a lot of shit. So, so you've been really uh, hitting up the Grand Sounds. But uh, yeah, I got some other new stuff in there that's really cool for some great bands. You got um, fucking Amanesis, who I know you liked their last album from 2015 a lot, like I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Necrophobic, new stuff from them. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Undergang. And what else we got in here? Just Before Dawn and some other good stuff. 
some cool topics to get to, uh, some music ones that uh, there's there's a topic you talked about uh, that we'll get to after the first block of music that is, is really interesting, especially when I started looking up the bands that are uh, kind of involved in that. Uh, there's some stuff on Zeppelin that's been recently uh, revealed. We'll get that as well. Um, sad news regarding Eddie Van Halen, but we'll talk more about that before we get into the rock block and do all that. Neko's pick of the week, of course. And some other interesting topics, a couple of docs to get to, as well as another topic that I thought was a little bit uh, interesting that I thought you and I can chat about a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we love our documentaries, so it's it's always good to... Because what happens for us, at least for me, is I watch a documentary and then I like start researching everything. I'm like, on oh, the computer. All right, what, what, where did they find this evidence? And oh, well, oh, like oh. one of them that we watch, I, you know, you can't control what's out there. It's not when they get released on these uh, apps and stuff. But it's from 2007. So I'm like, wow, that's that's a while ago. And but it's really, really good. It is, and it's, and like, it's like we never even knew it existed. Like it's like. It had problems when it happened, as far as the plot, and then like when the the doc got released, it still got buried. Like mm -hmm. you just didn't hear anything about it till now. So, uh, some cool stuff to get to, and very interesting stuff. Uh, we're gonna get into this first block. Couple bands. Um, Grand Sound sent me a new stuff from Hell On, as well as Shala's in there, which is a cool band. But Brave the Cold will be kicking it off with Upheaval here, and it's from their new record debut record, Scar City. Uh, features Mitch Harris of Napalm Death and Righteous Pigs. Uh, I kind of, I've been friends with Mitch on Facebook for a long time. Uh, we don't like talk all the time or anything, but you know, we friended each other way back when. And I know, I noticed that he hadn't been really like involved with the band as far as touring and stuff. And I kind of wondered why. And I, I, you know, when I read up on, it, I guess he had some personal issues at home that he was trying to work on. But he's still like a contributor and writer for the band so i don't know he's just not touring right now right so like this new project that he has with dick uh Robaron, who was from megadeth and a bunch of other projects that he's been involved with uh they collaborated on this new record so i doubt it's something that they're going to tour for with the record itself i could be wrong but uh it seems like they just wanted to kind of take some ideas and put them together and put out this record which is really cool it's all kind of like in the same grindcore, death vein, um, I, obviously with Mitch involved, it, it, there's a little bit of a, a similarity with Napalm Death stuff, but uh, it's a very solid record. Uh, be sure to check it out. It's called Scar City, just coming out new. And they're kicking off our first block. This is Brave the Cold with Upheaval.
TJ Nubis. TJ Neko. I'm still not quite used to this new bed music, but <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. Shaking I, it up a little bit. I like it when you shake things up. You're good at shaking it, shake it, shake it, shake, shake it, it like a Polaroid picture. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you today? Doing okay. I'm glad because I missed you while I was gone and I'm trying to really take advantage and appreciate everything while I'm home. Because I know this is going to be a longer trip home, but there's a lot going on. And I just, I was happy. We got some stuff done around the house. And then um, I'm going to work on some stuff outside tomorrow. And you're going to help me with some of the stuff that's a little bit more. But it's just, it's good. I like doing this with you. It's a nice escape from, like, the real life, you know? Yeah, you get, like, two or three hours just to get away from it and just chill out like even it's funny because even with this like you're still like texting people and chatting with I them know what's going on which is expected really but you know at least you are still finding time to kind of do this and we did come up with like a lot of topics today well, yeah stuff. we've been talking a lot this week about some stuff and this one topic kind of passed by my uh my news feed because we always we always like to talk about um bands and you know a lot of times it's it's is it influenced or is it ripped straight off. off copyright ripped off like and we were like, talking about just happened the last time when we were discussing your Harrison pick and oh yeah my sweet, sweet lord uh it, you know he was actually sued because his song was very similar to another song and then I was playing some George Harrison songs for uh Anubis and he was like oh my god that sounds like Fox on the Run. I forgot what song it was. So I'm like, George Harrison, like, he, he probably well, was a music fan and he just kind of got a lot of stuff stuck in his well, head. Well, at the time we looked it up and he apparently released that his song before Sweet did, but it is funny just how similar they were. But it, it kind of brought me to the point, like, it, it's not uncommon for bands to be influenced by somebody else and then subconsciously say, oh, this riff sounds really good. I wonder why I like it, but it sounds good. I think we're going to use it. And there's enough differences to where the songs are, are their own in their own way, but back to your not, point. Not Ice Ice Baby. Well, but <laughs> back to your point about Zeppelin, you know, the band Spirit was suing them for the intro. Music. And this has been going on a long time. Right. Now, it does sound a lot like it, but the song itself just takes a whole different life of, of its own. It's just that intro part. <laughs> well, it's it's basically Led Zeppelin saying, well, it's not dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, it's dun 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 Yeah. So, uh, unlike uh, Vanilla Ice, who couldn't get away with doing that, uh, Zeppelin apparently won their court case, really mainly because I think the court system just said they weren't going to hear yeah, it. Yeah, we're, we're tired of it. And well, they didn't see enough there to really say that it was ripped off that that was kind of pretty much their judgment now i don't know if spirit's gonna try to challenge that and go through the whole well this thing. was a, the supreme court declined to take up a copyright case against the band meaning the decision made in march by the appeals court will stand so it's like i think at this point because of how long it's been going on i mean the same thing happened with george harrison that that case didn't settle until the 90s and you know, it's and George Harrison lost the case because he, you know, he did admit that it was very, you know, similar. it should be noted. Like, I didn't even notice, but the original K 
case was filed in 2014 by the estate of musician Randy Wolf, but Wolf had already died in 97. This is one of the problems that you run into is when people take over control of your estates as a musician or artist, and then, like, they go and try to do shit like this, which, you know, it's hard to say if Randy Wolf would have said, would have felt the same way, like the estate did. He might have said, well, look, it's similarities, but, you know, it's not... I'm Same not... thing with the estate of Marvin Gaye and Blurred Lines with uh, right. Robin Thicke. It's like the yeah, estate went after. Right. It's really kind of tough because, like, a lot of times musicians aren't that petty with stuff like that. I mean, I, you don't really see that being the thing where they're trying to go after another artist. And it's usually always somebody else, the lawyers or family members and whatever... So it's hard to say if Wolf would have felt the same way, but either way, they didn't win their argument, and Zeppelin's okay. They they got by with it, which is fine. Like again, like even in metal, like the deeper parts of metal, you can go and hear a death metal band and hear like a riff. You're saying to yourself, "Oh, well, that sounds like something Death would play," or you know, this or that. Mm -hmm. So it's not all. Even if it sounds pretty much the same, it doesn't always necessarily mean it's arranged the same way. You know, it's changed up enough, and probably subconsciously the person said to themselves, oh, this sounds like a good riff. So it's just one of those things, you know. It's kind of like there's only so many uh, notes in the music library, so... Well, and, I, and if I was a musician, judging by all the bands and music I've heard over the years, like, I guarantee I'd probably be making stuff that sounded like something else. It, it's just a matter, you know, it's the nature of the beast, really. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people just start hearing things and it, it just sits in their head for a while and you're like, oh, okay. Right. But, I mean, it, it it's, comes to, like, to the point where, and again, I don't want to say, like, oh, it's petty or whatever, but it, it does come to a point where you have, and it's, there is no, uh, no cut and dry rule. There's no like, oh, if you have X amount of notes, because it's it's something that's artistic, so it's not something easily measured. Like, if you see something that is physically stolen, like, you know that that item or that product or that intellectual property, like, you're copying off of a copyright. Music's a little bit harder because a lot of these are, um, you know, it's not a direct copy, and then they're just adding different words or whatever, or taking the ideas. They're, uh, they're, it's more of like an influential ear, so to speak. Right. So anyway. So anyway, we were watching, uh, something on the U.S. 83, uh, concert festival. That was, was like it was this, a documentary about it, and it was a huge concert that went on for like three days. Yeah, and it wasn't something that we were really going to talk about, but Neko had brought up an interesting thing, because we were watching one of the bands triumph on stage, and considering how many people were at that concert and how far back, you know, it's like, it's something you'd see over in Europe, but uh, we were talking about how great the sound was, and how impactful and, and, and full it sounded, and that was one of the things you brought up. And we started talking about it. it's just a three-piece band, Triumph. And I didn't really know that at the time. Uh, even though I've been listening to them for a while, I don't know all the details about them, but I love a lot of their music. So the fact that they are a three-piece is pretty impressive. Now, of course, you guys talking about like Rush, the Stray Cats, who also played that day. Yeah, we were watching the Stray Cats play, and I'm like, it's amazing the sound that you can get from 
and it's a very simple setup too. Like Triumph had like a giant right. drum set, but the Stray Cats, he's like he had like a snare and a cymbal, and <laughs> I mean, they and what they were able to accomplish. Bass. Yeah, like, the, they were doing everything pretty much old school, and it's like. They sounded just as massive as Triumph did or any other band that was taking place there that day. But uh, you have to think about it, the other three-piece bands that are really kind of stand out and it's impressive. The Police, ZZ Top, Nirvana, of mm-hmm. course. Motorhead, which I did not know was a three-piece either. Uh, Sublime, I did not know. Sublime are a three-piece However, when they, they other when parts. yeah when they do certain songs, they get a they would get a brass section because you can and, hear it in. But that's, like, but that's how I always thought Sublime was more than just one. That's I always saw them more as like not quite the mighty mighty boss tones in terms of personnel, but just like they did have horns. They have they have guests and stuff, but like a lot of this stuff because you know Sublime is my favorite band. Um, a lot of the stuff, especially early on, it was like recorded in the their the sewing room of Bradley Knoll's wife and you know a lot of stuff that they did it was just the three of them and they would would put it together at home and this is before you got to remember nowadays we have some great software that makes it easy for people to do some recording they just kind of did this with reel to reels same thing with Nirvana they were doing the same thing like doing reel to reels and kind of doing you know they would make a record for you know, barely three to six hundred dollars and put it out. And because they're so, you know, their talent speaks for itself. It, you know, they again, Sublime, Nirvana, the cult following that kind of happens with these these bands. ZZ Top was also kind of a, um, <laughs> a surprise to me because I did know that they were a three piece, but then I don't even know what I was doing. I think I was looking up some music for, for dance classes. And I'm like, it's really kind of amazing, like, what they're able to accomplish with a guitarist, a bassist, and a drummer. And it's like a real heavy, hard, like, hard-hitting sound. And, you know, you think of Iron Maiden, who has, like, two lead guitarists. and uh, Now I think they have three. Three! at one point, when one of them left, they had another guy who was just really good. And they just kept him! So when Bruce came back, they were just kind of like, well... Or when the other guitars came back, they are like, well, we'll just keep it all three. Yeah, so. yeah, it's like they want that massive guitar sound, but you're, you're seeing bands who are able to do that without, you know... The one thing, too, like with, with Rush... I've never been a huge fan of them, as in, like, a fan of their style of music, but I, I always appreciated the complexity of their music and the amount of work that they put into everything. Like, when they're doing a show, they're not they're not like Iron Maiden. You're not going to see a bunch of j- jumping around and all this energy because Getty Lee has to focus on doing, like, five different things. So Yeah, it, he's got his bass and then he's got his keyboard, mm-hmm. so he's got to kind of be in place. And uh, Alex was never really, you know, he's not Eddie Van Halen up there. He's not, like, shredding to the point where, like, you know, he's got to, like, show off. He's just he's playing some technical leads and everything. But it, it, what the band was just all about precision and technicality and that's and that's what i mean and they they're very very good and then they try to do their own version of like a light show or Mm -hmm. or something going on in the background while while they're playing but some of the other bands were mentioned was like genesis um green day 
Blink 182, bands like that. So it's it is interesting just how many of these like powerful bands that we've seen over the years is only three members. It's it's actually quite impressive. They're they're powerful and and I think we kind of learned that with Stray Cats because like that was the first time I've really kind of seen them in like any kind of live environment in terms of like either on TV. Me too because I like the Stray Cats and we have their CDs and and their vinyl and stuff and. I've never really kind of paid attention to it because the Stray Cats were the 80s, but the Brian Setzer Orchestra was the 90s, and that was a huge band. Right. It was, you know, the whole... He took what he caught from the Stray Cats influence, but put a little bit of that, that 90s, uh, you know, twist to it. So he did bring in, like, a horn section and everything. So the Brian Setzer Orchestra was a much bigger band than the Stray Cats, and I, like, always just thought it was the same thing. I thought that's how, like, the Stray Cats were as well. All right, well, yeah, so you can... Actually, you kind of just looked up the power of three in terms of, like, trio bands, and there's a lot of them out there, a lot of different articles. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, there's plenty of stuff on Google to check out. Um, so our next block of music... Uh, got some stuff from Alien. It's not Alien. It's a a, a, a Alien. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that. Alien. Yeah, something like that. Kawar PR uh, sent us that band and uh, pretty good stuff there. I checked out. It's so hard when you have like a unique name. It is. It's very difficult, I mean, especially if it's another language. I just you know. Also got some Minks as well as we're gonna kick it off with Amanesis, and this is a band that Neko and I really liked. With their Ascension release in 2015, it was one of our favorites of the year that we reviewed on, uh, I think it was a podcast back then that we did. Um, it's been a little while. They've had some songs here and there for the last few years, uh, splits and stuff like that they've done. But they just released a new uh, um, A Reaction that came out not too long ago, and uh, I'm going to play a track off of that for you. It's got Iconoclasm. Be back in a few. Sounds like a plan.
looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you All right, DJ New is back with you, as well as DJ Neko. Yeah, speaking for me, are you? Kinda yes, sound, I am. Kind of sounds like the debates last night. <laughs> let, won't let the woman speak. <laughs> Gotta hold your ass down. Make me a sandwich. That in doesn't the kitchen. Ha- yeah. Well, actually, you are, you have been cooking a lot, which I appreciate so much because there's just been so much shit going on. Yeah, I think we're having some leftovers. <laughs> yeah, I think like you can have a leftover fish. Well, no, no, we have. Brought, and then we have fish. Fish, and then I maybe cook up some popcorn shrimp, maybe. That is the most wonderful idea. I, I love. You popcorn. just met, you can't see it, but her eyes just like widen. I love popcorn shrimp, but you got to pull the um the oven out. I gotta go do the whole worky worky thing. Well, I'll do the dishes. You do the cooking. Well, I'm just gonna do dishes when we're done, and you can do whatever. Take care of your stuff. We always got shit to take care of. This is why we watch these documentaries because, like, even when our like uh, life gets a little crazy, we realize, you know, we're not crazy enough to kill our own children and try to make a big cover-up conspiracy about it. Yeah, Neko's referring to the one of the docs we watch about John Benet Ramsey, and I remember in the late '90s when this whole thing went down and the doc kind of covers about how crazy the media was at the time with all this and you know the funny thing is the doc kind of pushes this idea because a guy named uh, Lawrence Schiller who's the one that directed the doc and he apparently took all these notes and you know he has all this these tapes and stuff that he did during the time and he was using those as a basis for the doc. Well, he, also he, wrote, he also wrote a book, right. too. And directed, helped direct a movie, or a TV movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the funny thing is, like by the end of the doc, I don't think you really still have any clear answers of what, exactly what happened. I because, don't think anybody does, because... Uh, I mean, obviously we all have our personal viewpoints about what happened, but I don't think there's any clear case of really what went on. Um, Especially because, like... When they quote unquote found her, I, I I'm using these quotes because I truly believe that Patsy killed her. I really do. That's, that's where I am. <laughs> because when um she was, Germany was about five, right? Six. Six. Yeah. And she was having bedwetting problems, and apparently there was a bedwetting incident the night before she died, and Patsy Ramsey is like. She was obsessed with. John Binet. She wanted her to be like uh, her little clone, like her little mini me. And, you know, she put her in those pageants and she wanted them to dress like twins and stuff. And, you know, they said that John, uh, that Patsy was 
really, really unhappy with John Binet, like, wetting the bed. And she would go and, and get very violent with the child. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that they were talking about, they were saying, like, you know, you can tell that something hard had hit her head. And I don't think Patsy honestly meant to kill John Binet. I think she was just get raging out and, and trying. Well, I don't think it's right to beat the child for wetting the bed. But that's, like, kind of what was inferred that happened that night and um yeah i'm thinking because they said that jamine suffered a blow to the head and i think that actually happened before uh the strangulation and everything and they go they go through this doc and kind of break down that maybe jamine wasn't quite dead the first time around and then, and then they strangled her afterwards but one thing neko points out and i think that's the reason why i kind of feel like it is patsy behind it is that JonBenet was a young girl who was put in these pageants and dressed out to be like a more adult than she really was. And I mean, if you're a pedophile, it's like a wet dream, really, looking at this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here it is. We see it all the time and hear about it with like soccer moms and parents that get too involved with their kids' sports, how it becomes very volatile. Um, Some parents are very good at this kind of stuff where they're not like. You know, they're giving their kids space. You know, we see it with dancers, I'm sure. Like, I don't know how much your mom was involved with your ballet and stuff, but... When I was a kid, um, everything was, like, my decision. You know what I mean? Like, I... And a lot of times, I just wanted to do things because my friends were doing it. And with, with dance, my sister, who is younger than me, when she was living with her mom, um, she started taking dance. So I was probably in kindergarten maybe four or five and said well I want to start taking dance too so my mom enrolled me and as I got older and did more and got accepted to like the competition team and stuff it was all like my decision she my mother never danced she was not like a dance mom uh she clearly footed the bill thank you very much mom (laughs) but she and she was very good seamstress so me being so I've always been you know weirdly proportioned I have very short arms and my legs are kind of short but then I have I've always had big boobs which is hard as a dancer because all these costumes are made for people with no boobs so they have to order me like a large costume and my mom would always just for a selling point just yeah the boobs were a selling point for me oh yeah good (laughs) (laughs) my mom always had to sit and go through all of my costumes and alter them But she did it because she knew I was happy. She wasn't a pusher. Like, I wanted to play softball because my best girlfriend played softball, too. And I said, I want to play softball. And she said, okay. You know, she wasn't... But we learned, like, when you... Like, even when you started teaching dance, we learned how some of that a lot, and a politics lot of, yeah, and Yeah, and a lot, of these, a lot of these moms who are... Um, overreached a lot. Yeah, they overreach. Their kid is always perfect. They're never wrong, blah, blah, blah. But... A lot of what I'm what I saw mainly was a lot of these quote unquote dance moms like the TV show they were dancers themselves when they were younger so they're trying to tell you what to do as a right. teacher and you know 
Yeah, it, it, it doesn't work like that. But that's kind of like... And I think that's kind of what happened with John Bonet. Like, her mother was desperately trying to model her, and I don't think John Bonet really wanted to do... And she's only Well, John Bonet, when you look at the, the footage of her doing... She was very good at it, but, you know, we I think what happens is we tend to forget that they're still just kids. And, you know, you think to, like... I, I hate bringing up Emma Watson all the time, but... You know, when she was a kid in Harry Potter, they had strict rules for kids that worked on movie sets that they can only work half a day. But they really don't have those kind of rules for... for right. Because like, these are not professionals. Like, pageants are not a professional thing. Same thing with dance competitions. Pageants, you have to pay a lot of money to enter them. You have to pay a lot of money for these costumes, and it's just to win. So it's not a professional thing, so there are no rules with them you are paying the money you're not getting paid it's not a job per se like the harry potter kids were they had specific times they had to go to school they had specific times where they were allowed to work blah, plus blah. plus you didn't have parents like hanging around set all day telling these kids how to out telling the actors how to do their job or the director so there's this boundary that we don't get with the, the kids that you taught dance and stuff like that. There's, there's, you know, you have your little classes, but if parents are hanging around, they're always, like, giving their input, which, mm -hmm. you know, it, not every parent's like that, obviously, but there are some that are just really overreaching, and then, of course, when gossip starts and the animosity starts, it just becomes a thing. And Patsy, you can just tell the way that John Bonet was raised that Patsy was putting her up on this pedestal trying to push her to be the biggest thing ever and you know that's fine if you want your kid to grow up to be something out of their lives but and you know these pageants I because you know we, we do have a friend who was a Miss Maryland you know winner they they're not terrible but when you are forcing them into doing something it's it is a big commitment to do these pageants it is a big expense and you do start young you start when you're a, a small child like John Bonet and in order to win there is like a, a protocol so, so to speak like they need to look a certain way they need to dress a certain way they need to understand they have to sing they have to do this do that but a lot of the pageants as you get more into the Miss America side because that's where our friend she ended up going and being like a, I think it was like the seventh runner-up or something. She was Miss Maryland and then seventh runner-up in um, Miss America. These pageants have what they call platforms where you have, you know, you have to show that you do something. One, um, you'll see people, they're ASL, inter American Sign Language interpreters. Uh, our friend, she raised seeing eye dogs for blind people. So... It starts off crazy when they're little because the parents, you know, clearly a five-year-old can't have a platform. A five-year-old can't raise seeing eye dogs and all. It starts crazy like that because in order to get into these higher level um, competitions of, because uh, Miss America is one level, but in order to, you have to kind of win at the lower level. And in order to win the lower level, you have to put out a lot of money. And the Ramses were very wealthy. And that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to set John Monet up to be on these higher level competitions. Now, it's not to say that, like, when you watch this doc or if you know any of the history there, that there weren't other problems in there. Um, it just happened on Christmas morning. Or the day after or something like it that. It was Christmas morning, I thought. But, 
you know, the, the, the cops were shorthanded, so by the time the first call's put on by Patsy, there's only one detective that actually gets there, and there's no way to really seal off the uh, house, so then, like, for whatever fucking reason, Patsy's calling in her friends to come visit and, you know, care for her or whatever. Mm-hmm. The other problems are we we find out that there's some inconsistencies with John Bonet, what she ate, uh, and what Patsy said she didn't eat. And then one of the things I didn't get around to talking to you with was, you know, yeah, they're in kind of a big house, but I don't think it's so big to the point that you don't hear something going on. And I can't imagine that if an uh, intruder comes in... Oh, that's right, the intruder theory. Yeah, that's what they base it on. They figure someone who who obviously had to have knowledge of the house, so that's another thing. So if even if it's not Patsy or the husband, it's got to be somebody in the family. There's no one is just going to come in and know exactly where to go to find mm-hmm. John Bonet in her bed. There's just no way. And the ransom note that they were reading, uh, it had like that very what was it, a hundred and eighteen thousand dollars, and that yeah. that was no pad was found inside the house. The marker was found inside the house. There's just so many things that points to it being an inside job, as I'll call it. But uh, the fact that Patsy and the fact that John Bonet was like this little barbie that was put up for display for the family, uh, I just it, it just sounds so much like something that went out of control. And as Neko pointed out, uh, Patsy was just an overbearing mother that obviously, if John Bonet wets the bed. Uh, that's going to set her off. And, like, rather than treat it like a kid who needs some help there in that area, she lashes out because she expects her daughter to be an adult who is an adult. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with Nick. I, I definitely think that Patsy's behind it. But, obviously, I'd re- encourage people to watch it. It's called Overkill. Um, uh, just says the John Benet Ramsey story. What, was it on Netflix or was it on? Um, um, actually, I think it was on Tubi or something. We love that damn Tubi. That if you don't have Tubi, yeah, there's a lot of docs out there that are free that you can check out if you have Roku's and stuff like that. But uh, you know, they obviously tried to go through different uh, theories about what happened. Um, obviously, there's some infighting with the the politics of the officers and the FBI and been investigating like there's some even with the media you know just so much going on to where people will start resigning and they're not happy about the way that people are trying to push certain agendas, whatever it may be um and the other thing too was the way that um that also kind of the way that the crime scene was handled from the beginning. You know, it was not carefully, I don't want to say diagnosed, but yeah, like, it was not carefully investigated, diagnosed, or anything, and there was too many people touching things and moving right. things around. Like, so, apparently, the body of John May was actually 12 hours old, but, like, when they first searched the house, they couldn't find her. And then, like, suddenly, the father and one of the other guys discovered the body some part of the basement, and they tried to make the excuse that, well, the guy that initially went in the room didn't know where the light switch was. Well, if I'm searching a house for a kid, I'm going to ask the guy who's with me who lives there, where is the light switch? <laughs> so, again, more more questions than answers there. I really, like, I think Daddy was probably covering for Mommy in this case. 
I think they came up with a plan to try to make it look like it was something else and it wasn't, and they actually ended up killing their daughter, whether intentionally or not. Probably more likely unintentional, but... Yeah, and I, I think, didn't the Ramseys divorce after that? And they did. Then, and, and I think Patsy passed away, too. So right. now it's like, the it's a mystery. We don't, we don't, we just have all of her. But it's just weird behavior, too. Like, I think they mentioned that the family, the parents were, like, going on the media. They didn't want to talk to the cops, but they wanted to talk to the media mm-hmm. any chance they can get. And I'm just like, you know, you're trying to sell something here, and it's kind of ridiculous, you know? to see something again where you see a poor kid be brutally murdered i i it just breaks my heart you know to see these things and i really do wish you know there was some justice for john benet because there really isn't it's just kind of always been a lot of conjecture and speculation and nobody has confessed and they've never punished anybody for it yeah all right, well, let's get back into our music. Yes. Got some new stuff from Sacramentia, uh, Classic Killer Hurts, and we're going to kick off some more stuff from Quabar, Citizen Rage, called Twitch. Don't listen to you. I don't think you ever really hear me. You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have... Our negative thoughts. Yeah. 
is anime from Darken and you are listening to the Halls of Chaos only on Metal Tower Radio. Alright, DJ Newis, back with you, Metal Tower Radio Podcast, Hordes of Chaos, episode 85. Do apologize, DJ Neko had to take a break. She may not be back for the rest of the uh, podcast, as I said. Dealing with a lot of things right now, so she had to go and address something that was important. So, do apologize for that. Also, the last segment, I'm not sure if it cut out on us or not. Uh, Hopefully it didn't. Um, I'll check it when we're all done. But either way, I think there might be a little gap in there. Uh, For the last segment, we did talking about John Bonet Ramsey. Either way... Uh, getting ready to head into our rock block, and uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on was the recent passing of Eddie Van Halen. Quick story, uh, when I was younger, my early teens, I probably had heard some old Van Halen tracks when I was really young, just didn't know who they were, but during the MTV thing, you know, when uh, Jump came out for 1984, like I was just kind of floored at the band itself and how great they were. And it was really kind of like around that period where everything is an introduction in terms of like the hard glam rock phase. So Rat, uh, Motley Crue, uh, Rail, stuff like that. Um, And of course Van Halen. So I'm like, oh wow, this is great. You know, Daily Roth was like a hell of a front man and whatnot. So became pretty big Van Halen fan at that point. Uh, never got a chance to see them. We had a chance, the wife and I, in 2007, uh, when her grandfather had gotten us tickets for, uh, Christmas, I believe it was. Uh, problem is, the the grandfather ended up passing away, uh, and it was right around the time we were supposed to go, so we ended up selling the tickets or giving them away, I can't remember which, so, never got a chance to see them live, unfortunately. Um, now it's a little too late, obviously, but... Uh, still a killer band. Uh, Eddie was so influential to so many artists and bands. Like I saw Doc not too long ago that I was talking about where other guitarists were saying how much Eddie was uh, a pioneer and trailblazer in terms of his playing. Uh, many of them who are considered greats today were like, yeah, when I was playing, you know, I did this. Then I saw Eddie Van Halen one night and I'm like, what is he doing? That is incredible. I uh, just read like an article, small thing about uh, Randy Rhodes, who had seen Eddie play uh, back in 1976. And at that time, Randy was thinking he was like the guitar god, and he saw Eddie play, and he just ended up feeling like shit afterwards. So uh, that just shows you the kind of impact Eddie had on people to, to strive to make them better musicians and to push them even further. Uh, he's sadly going to be very missed. Uh, Eddie was a, a great, great talent, great person. Twitter blew up with everybody from Sammy Hagar to Jimmy Kimmel giving their thoughts and their condolences and their stories about you know what it was like being with Eddie. Uh, even his ex Valerie Bertinelli and the son uh, Wolfgang, you know, they all piped in about how they felt and their love for Eddie. So. I've got a track in here from Van Halen to play a little bit later for y'all, but I also got some star insight, Zeus to Temple, John Anderson, brand new ACDC, brand new stuff, Uh, Arcade Messiah as well, 
Gonna kick it off though with some star insight. This is Death to the Stars. It's kind of fitting, I guess, from the Inverse Records. Here we go. <laughs>
of life in the fast lane? Do you have the need for speed? Well, if you're a racing fan and want to be part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line at Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing, and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
Alright, so... Initially, I thought Neko wouldn't be back for the show, but she is back. I'm back! I'm back, bitches! I'm back! Hey, I never left, motherfucker! <laughs> you know, with every... Neko is forever! I'm forever! <laughs> yeah, you know, just kind of the sign of the times right now with my life, but... You know, again... That's the thing, right? It's not forever. Right, but it's like, it's funny, because you came down and you're like, Okay, I, I gotta take care of this shit, and that's all I saw, like... So I'm thinking, okay, it's gotta be bad, so I probably won't see her for the rest of the night, but turns out she worked it out and it's something... We're gonna deal with it tomorrow. Right. It's not life or death. It's just the people around her start freaking out and it's like becomes this big thing. So I promised you John Anderson tonight, but uh, we're going back to Neko's pick, which we're doing soon. Oh, I'm sorry, John Anderson. No, it's okay, because I thought I had to fill in the gap there, but we're, we're good. We're still on target. This is the original plan. Okay, so we're on the, the OG, the OG plan. But uh, that was House of Pain by Van Halen. I talked about it before we kicked off the rock block, uh, the yeah. passage of Eddie Van Halen. Did you tell him about that story about Michael Jackson? No, I'll let you tell in a minute, but so. just... Uh, wanted to finish my story Sorry. that House of Pain is one of my favorite songs from Van Halen. It's it's one of my favorites off of 1984. It's actually one of the more underrated and obscure tunes because it's the last one on the record. It's one of the harder hitting ones. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Neko has a story she'd like to share with you all regarding... It's not my story. It's just... It was... It's not like it's really anything surprising. Everybody knows that Jackson did some work with... Uh, Eddie did some work with Michael Jackson. And when he was working on it, um, he went in and, and Quincy Jones was producing it. So Eddie was like, all right, I need you to change a few things. Michael was actually out of the room doing some voiceovers for a kid's book. And um, so while he was gone, Eddie did, you know, he changed some things and he, <laughs> he did his solo and when Michael came back, he's like, all right, I just want to warn you. I changed the middle of your song and played it for Michael. And Michael loved it. He appreciated it. And he was like, thank you for caring and actually trying to make my song better because, you know, most people would come in and just, you know, rip through some solos. He's like, but you came in and you cared about my song and made it a hit. And, it, you and that's kind of like where you can find like where really great guitarists matter because if they can go and do certain things uh we i talked about with people like carrie king and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, beastie boys and stuff like that where they can come in they, they look at the song that they're working on and they incorporate a solo that works with the song if you're coming in just to show off it's not going to work because it misses the chemistry and everything else uh and i think what michael jackson was getting at was that Eddie cared about the song, cared about the structure. Therefore, the way he laid out his solo work matched with what he was trying to do with Beat It. That makes sense, and it's understandable, and I, that's why Eddie was so great. Um, but yeah, um, so hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, I know a lot of people have been playing a lot of Van Halen lately. To, to your pick, though, of the week um, is another kind of like personal song for you, mainly because of what's going on with your mom. Go ahead. This is like my one. My mom is a huge Rolling Stones fan, and this is, I think, my mom's absolute favorite Rolling Stones song. And for me, I love this song too. Um, I think we did do Rolling Stones uh, 
months ago, and my favorite role. Actually, I went back. I looked. you can't find. I mean, it might have been a year ago then. Yeah, I but it was it back. was my favorite Rolling Stone song is "Mother's Little Helper," and I think that might have been the one. Yeah, did. and this one is my mom's favorite Rolling Stones song, and it, it's also I love this song too because it's at the beginning of The Departed, which is one of my absolute favorite favorite movies of all time watches that movie religiously oh and it's it's like my it's my saint patrick's day thing i get that that and the boondock saints i I get all drunked up watching the departed and 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 that's not a lie no i mean it's not even no figment of words that's that's all true you know it's it's funny because like it's i don't i mean it's an awesome movie don't get me wrong but it is if I haven't seen it in a while, I'll pop it on. But this is at the beginning. It's uh, Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. My mom has always said, ever since, like, the beginning of time, what is, uh, you know, like, she, we always kind of just joke about things. Um, and right now, it's not something to really joke about. But she always said, when I, when I die, I want you to play this song for me. And she's not dead. Yeah, so we don't, don't, we don't, don't want to push that. No, but this is her favorite. <laughs> but it is a tribute to her, too. It is so. a tribute to her because it's her favorite Rolling Stones song, and she loves the Stones. She loves she loves everything about, like, what the 60s and 70s really represented. And I think with her sometimes, with a lot of, like, the protests that are going on now, she she, she gets angry because she feels like, you know, the 60s and 70s was a time where people were really trying to institute change. You know, like, they really... That was, like, she said, real protesting. And she's... She feels like a lot of this stuff now, um, because of how prevalent social media is, it's all Adding, for show. Yeah. And, you know, people are doing it to be cool or look cool. And... For her, anything that happened, like, she, the 60s and 70s for her was, it just, she was very young, she was a teenager, and to her it was like, she really believed that times were going to be changing for, for the right things, you know, you always want to talk about women's lib, or, um, you know, Black Lives Matter or whatever, like Black Lives Matter, you know, that started in the 60s. Think about Malcolm X and Dr. King and everything. That was a time of a lot of real shakeup. And, so, you know, so this is the Rolling Stones. Give me shelter. This is not necessarily part of that protesting thing, but I, I just, I like to attribute that time period, that time period, you know, and, and think about my mom and all like, how hard she had to work again as a woman to rise up to be an executive at her job and you know it's kind of nice it's it's nice to have a like a trailblazing mom a woman who just does not give a fuck so this is for my mom rolling stones give me shelter to mama to mommy attention please Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. 
Neko's pick of the week.
Fresh Metal Band Pop Your Face from Russia and you are listening to Metal Tavern Radio. <laughs> what? What'd you think of that uh, new uh, ACDC song? Yeah. Groovy? It feels like ACDC. You know, I know sometimes we always are like, oh, we're trying, we're, a band's trying to find a new, I, you know what, I don't want ACDC to find a new sound. I want ACDC to sound like ACDC. That's yeah, okay. Yeah, because I think they went for a little period there where they were trying to change it up and it wasn't really clicking and then when they did uh rock or bust or something like that that one or the black black ice album i think that was kind of like when they started getting back to basics i'm like that's easy well i mean you and i kind of we've been beating this dead horse since day one with metallica it's like if you know they were kind of like themselves and then you know it just every every album like starting with the black album even though i like the black album and i like some of the stuff off of load and reload and all but it was like they got further and further away from their roots bloody roots and uh so you know i we talked about this with overkill too i like when a band has a sound and it's their sound acdc has their sound like I love ACDC. Yeah, for all the people that like say that, you know, a band like Overkill is boring because they don't change up, I'm like, fuck you, dude. Overkill is Overkill because they play Overkill. Like Motorhead. (laughs) It's like you have a sound. It's okay to find your sound and stick with it. You, it's cool. It's really cool. There's no problem just going in and rocking the ACDC. Like, if I listen to Who Made Who or... Give Me Blood, or even this new one, Shot in the Dark. Like, if it all sounds like ACDC, I'm a happy camper. Mm-hmm. I don't need anything to deviate from that and try to be all cute and cutesy and whatnot. I mean, do you think ACDC is going to have, like, rapping on their <laughs> album? No, they didn't want that. They never wanted that. They want to be ACDC. They want to be like, fire! Right. You know, that's them. That's, that's what I want. So, th- talking about overthinking things overthinking things that's just this generation uh so i don't know i, I thought about it the other day and i'm here yeah. you go thinking again yeah no, overthinking overthinking uh when i go and watch movies it doesn't matter what it is i go in for the purpose of just getting lost for two hours or whatever it is and enjoying the time and getting away from everything else and you're not it's... you're not there to find hidden hidden meanings and and secret things yeah you know i don't want all that like i know that some directors kind of purposely do stuff like that because they they, you know trying to be cool and do new things but when i think of stuff like you know avatar lord of the rings harry potter stuff like that where i know like yeah there's this underlying theme of good versus evil but at the end of the day it's still just fantasy movies i mean i look at them i don't look at them as far as like you know, people talk about Avatar and how it parallels with Native Americans being, you know, killed and... And kicked off of their land. Right. And, and, and I can see what they're talking about, but at the time, like, when I'm watching the movie, I'm not even thinking about that. Like, it, it, there's no purpose to it for me to 
try to politicize it or make it a social... You're thinking more about, like, the story that's unfolding in front of you, like, you know... Right, I'm, I'm seeing blue people characters. with flying monsters. I mean, that's the greatest You're thing like, ever. I, I, need, I need a flying monster myself, thank you. Right, you know, Godzilla is born out of something that was political and social. About, yeah, a the tragedy. atomic bomb. Right, but when I watch it, it's a monster movie. I don't have to dive any deeper in it. I know that it's there, but... I just wonder sometimes when people, like, kind of overthink things. And a couple of the movies that you and I have seen more recently, Captain Marvel and Black Panther, there was all this media talk about, you know, Black Panther has all these black people and actors, and then Captain Marvel has, like, these feminist issues. And you and I saw both and had no problem with any of it. Like, it wasn't as bad as people were making yeah, it Yeah, I, I stopped... I purposely didn't watch Captain Marvel for the longest time because people were making it sound like it's like so over the top and I'm like right it's not bad like I don't understand what the the overly feminist uh you know values or whatever they were trying to push forward because it was not bad like and that's at all thing. it was and, and, a decent it, movie right. on its, its own it's all stems from when I was talking to you about the Anola Holmes thing on Netflix like I've been hesitant to watch it because the shit that I read is telling me that, you know... They're, like, Sher pushing an agenda. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes is more emotional when really his character is not designed that way. But I'm wondering myself, if I watch the movie, is it really going to be as bad as everyone says? Or does uh, Cavill actually do a pretty good job of making it a balance or whatever? Like, I don't even care about, you know... Uh, Millie Bobby Brown character because it's all about her anyway so I know that there's going to be this sort of like you know pro-woman feminist angle to it which is fine but we see we don't always not like pro-women feminist right. things we but when I think for us when again this is going back to the stupid social media shit you you get you get slammed with it for at all angles from every different social media platform and it's people are making it sound so negative that you're like, wow, I don't even want to waste my time with right. this movie, which is what exactly what happened with Captain Marvel. And then when I watched it, I'm like, I actually kind of liked it, and it, no, I it was good, and I wasn't even feeling like it was in my face. Same thing None with of Black the stuff. Panther. Yeah. I'm like, this is not like people are people are getting mad because it's all like, oh, you know, Black Panther means black power and black. Th and I'm like. It was just a decent movie. It's that's kind of how I went into it because you had all these great actors and the story was good. I'm like, so why do people make such a big deal over something that yeah, it might have a little of an undertone? And of course, Captain Marvel, she's a superhero and she's a woman, and Black Panther, he is a man and he is a black man. So, but honestly, you should, as people in general, you should just be like. This character was well developed, and the person who who acted in this movie is the right person to put it on the big screen. That's what I saw. Yeah, well, I didn't. And that's the thing. I it's didn't like, feel it, like I was being shoved some agenda. Right. It's like the media and the reviews and stuff are starting to lose their way all over the place. Like we talk about politics all the time, but now even in the movie industry, like people who are reviewing these films, like, even if they're just, like, going out of their way to, like, the one article I watched or read about in Noah Holmes is that they were pointing at all these things that made it, like, the greatest Sherlock Holmes movie ever 
because it was doing all these things. I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't think it's really going to mean that it's the best one ever because of that. If it's good, it's because the actors are good and the story's good. Uh, but, of course, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, well, you're dissing, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and, and Benedict Cumberbatch, their versions of which is kind of fucked up. But maybe what's happening is that film isn't bad at all and that this person just either going totally overboard with all their own agendas. Which is very possible. And then you had the flip side where someone who reviews it might be like, well, because of all these agendas, like, it's so bad, but it really isn't. And that's what, again, that's what kind of turn me from Captain Marvel because they're they're like it's so agenda laden I'm like oh, I don't Same need another agenda laden movie and then we watch it and I feel no agenda at all like like to this day I still haven't watched the rest of The Last Jedi or even the last Star Wars movie because of all the outside influence mm-hmm. I really couldn't tell you if it's good or bad or not because I'm so turned off by some of the stuff that I read that I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Do I really want to go into this? And that just shows you the power of uh, social media and, and, the, and the media in general cause, because everybody has an opinion and they're like, it's my opinion. Now, don't make no mistake. You and I are not, like, sheep and we don't just, like, go and watch things or listen to things because other people say not to or to do so. But we still take an account for different things because, like, if we're going to watch something we want to research it a little bit and see what's going on with it and as you said we had avoided captain marvel for a very long time i had like no interest in it and then i was when i had disney plus it was there oh that's right that's when we watched it It was disney plus so i said okay well let's finally give this a whirl and I expected the worst, and it turned out to be a very good film, and it wasn't... <laughs> yeah, we're both like, where's... where's yeah, the we're fem- waiting for where, something. Where's the feminist agenda? Where's the bra burning? Where is something right. crazy being shot? It, right. It, they, they, it's a feminist movie because it's a feminist lead character, just like Alien. Right. You know, like... Exactly. That would be like if exactly. somebody... If they released Alien now with Sigourney Weaver, like... I'm talking the original one. It would be like, oh, a woman who is fighting, and oh my goodness, it's just feminism right in our face. Oh god, a female hero. Oh no. Alien is great. It's a great movie. It's a little scary. It's got lots of action. It's a little bit gross, and you gotta realize for the 80s, they did a really good job with all those special effects. It's a good movie. There is no feminist agenda, and there's a female lead. It's not a big deal to have a female lead, and we're, we're not out, like, they're not out just saying, oh, just because you have a female lead and it's a little bit non-traditional that it's a feminist agenda being shoved down your throat. That's... Right. It's crazy. I mean, I've seen movies, obviously, that, you know, they kind of nod to it. Like, Suspiria had a moment where some women were laughing at a guy that they had under witchcraft powers, like, laughing at his little dick and stuff like that. But I have to think of it in terms of when you saw other horror movies where... You know, the male was either, you know, insulting or trashing a, a naked woman or whatever. So it's all it's all part of the course, and you see it coming. But, again, it's not, like, overly done like some of the media and the writers try to now, make it. Now, do you same. have a movie that you can think of off the, off the top of your head that literally is an agenda-pushing movie, like... You, it's it's right in your face because I'm trying, I'm digging right now, and I'm like, you know, we watch so many different movies from horror movies. I watch, I'm a girl, I watch all these girly girl movies too. And there are, 
I don't think I've sat and watched them. There are movies I see that come across any particular app, Shutter or whatever, that when I read the descriptions, I can tell already that they're shooting for a certain thing. Um, there's this movie out there, which I have not watched. It could be good or bad, don't know. But it's it's directed towards the LBGT community. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I know from the start that that's what it's aiming for. So, like... If I check it out, I may check it out at some point, but it's not something I would jump into because I really... We talked about this some time ago with Nightmare on Elm Street 2 mm-hmm. after watching a doc that when I watched that as a kid... Me too! I never once thought of anything other than the fact that it's Freddy Krueger and a kid who's trying to fight off a possession. That's the only thing I ever thought about it. And none of everything else mattered. Now, granted... Uh, the shower scene, I'm thinking, okay, well, the coach is gay. That's the first thing that I got out of it was the gym coach was gay. And the character, Jesse, found him at the gay bar. But that was kind of like a side thing. That was like, okay, once we got him back to school in the showers, that was the end of it. Like, it wasn't much more thought put into it. But that movie... Like, despite the fact that the doc makers were trying to say that they were aiming for something, I never saw it. And so, nowadays, as you said, the way that things are publicized and, you know, put out there, it's like they're they're purposely trying to make you think, oh, this gay movie's made for you gay people. Um, and really, if you're just going to make a good horror movie, it doesn't matter if there's gay people in there or not. You don't have to make that the focus. You can't be like, oh, this is a gay horror movie. Like, Right. It doesn't uh, have to be think, that way. Don't you think that people in the LBGTQ community are like, I like horror. Right. I don't need it to be like the gay horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need you to spell it out to them. They just They're like, like, we know we're gay. That's why we're part of LBGTQ. I'm sure they like the fact that you're kind of putting a focus on it, but like... We don't have to see it in the credits or the description or whatever. Just you say, hey, this is a great fucking horror movie. Yeah, there's some gay people in it and gay moments, but it's fucking awesome. And I mean, you don't have to say it that way when you're describing it. But the point is, some people aren't going to give things a chance when they hear things. And Captain Marvel is one of the and examples we, And of we that. feel bad about that because right. we truly enjoy all of the Marvel movies and... Even if they're good or bad, we go to see them. Uh, even, you know, because we, we'll kind of rank them amongst ourselves and say, oh, this one was better than this one, and I like this part or whatever. But we didn't even give Captain Marvel a chance because there was so much bad press about it and so many people just bashing it because, oh, this is feminist agenda. Yeah, it's like I'm this like, whole thing where, like, just for a period of time for about three or four years with Marvel, Black Panther and Captain Marvel, they're just like... All they're doing is pushing Oh, God, agenda. we got the the black movie now. It's like... But you, it's really not. Yeah, there's a lot of black people in it, black actors, and it's fine that they were taking a moment and... And it's important because, yes, they they were taking it and making it... I don't want to call it their black movie, but... They were casting it appropriately, right? Because these these characters and this superhero was African or is African American. The God rest his soul, um, Chad, Chadwick Bozeman, uh, yeah. Bozeman passed away, but they were do. You know, Marvel was trying to do it right. They weren't. You know, they were. They may not always get it perfect. I know that there was the moment in Doctor Strange, or actually, it was probably the uh, end game when you know. Uh, 
Oh, it was what's Swinton. her face? Yeah. They're like, oh, she's not Asian. Right, but I'm like, look, it, it just yeah, sometimes you have to kind of overlook some of that. I know that it's kind of a pain in the ass sometimes, but Marvel's at least attempting to do this the right way. Uh, a lot of movie uh, companies are doing the same thing, but you're not always going to be there 100. percent You know, sometimes it's a matter of availability. Sometimes it's a matter of talent. Right, and you can't forget that because it's like anything else, a job. Like it doesn't matter. If I go into a job with Neko, and she's more uh, has the credentials and I don't, she should get the job. Not because she's female, but just because she's the better prospect. I and I, I, I'm gonna just say I face this in my job more so on my own account because my job is a, a male, quote unquote, male, typically male. I'm the only woman who who does it, and I always feel so, I guess, weird around my counterparts, but. When I was on this last job and my partner, he also is a, a certified trainer, so he was requalifying me so that I have my certifications again. Um, he was like, your work is like Leonardo da Vinci compared to some other guy that we work with. And it kind of surprised me because the, the guy has a lot more experience than me, but they look at quality. Not just they're not just giving me a job because I'm a woman. They're very happy now that they have a token woman. They're like, we have a woman now. We've never had a woman. Look at us. We have a woman. Look, we have a woman. But they're like, she's actually kind of good too, and she's better than some men. And it kind of well, gave me you, a little boost of confidence this last time. Well, I'm like, I remember that whole discussion, and it was a, a decision that you didn't come to like quickly. But even when you were still in purchasing, like those guys on that end of the fence were like pushing for you to go they're like come on do it come yeah, on just do it just do it just do it and then when you finally got there like they're really impressed they continue to support you they love the fact that you have knowledge of the inside game that helps them when they're on ships so yeah i mean it's like you're in a male dominated field but you're already making strides and it's not like they're not like looking at you like oh well she's token they don't look at it no like they don't they treat me like a contemporary and they do nothing but support me like especially my my supervisors and my manager they're all about like you know every time that there's a new class to be taken they're like go go take that class get another certification go take that yeah. class and i'm like i will yeah you have to understand like neko has like accounting certs that she doesn't use but she has yeah them. Well, fuck accounting but uh you know that's the thing like and it's we have to be careful with like what we're reading and watching in terms of like the media because people just either like i i'm fine with people like being happy about certain films and what they're trying to do but when they spin it so negatively it, or, or overly positive like if they're like you know if they say enola holmes is like the best sherlock ever because of these qualities then i think it's kind of disingenuous because now you're spitting on the other stuff saying that it's not good because of that. And let me tell you something, like Sherlock Holmes, the two movies that Downey did and the the series with Cumberbatch and, and Martin, uh, they weren't like disrespectful to anybody on sets that I'm aware of or didn't really like treat the characters they didn't treat it. Like Sherlock Holmes was designed a certain way and that's his behavior. Mm hmm. So I'm fine with Henry Cavill kinda of doing his own thing and trying to make Sherlock a different thing, but 
I don't think we should be saying, oh, well, that's the greatest thing because Sherlock is now woke. That's the dumbest thing you I can say. I think that's what they're trying to say, too, is they're trying right. to be like, Sherlock has learned from his mistakes. <laughs> right. Well, this, this is apparently, though, like, before Sherlock becomes who he is, to, like, is later well, on. Well, then maybe, honestly, then, if if this is kind of a prequel, then maybe this is... Then maybe it, it works. It, it works, yeah. Maybe this is why Sherlock became kind of, like, the obsessive-compulsive person he is. Right. That's kind of crazy. Like, I, I never thought... I didn't know it was a prequel, and, and that... Well, the thing is, I don't think that... Um, who's the author? I can't remember. Yeah. You're hurting my brain. But the author, you know, didn't design Sherlock that way. So the estate, (laughs) again, Mm -hmm. they're coming at Henry Cavill saying, you know, you're writing and doing something with a character that isn't designed that way. Yeah, we're back So they're currently in a lawsuit again. But I don't have a problem with it so much as, like, let's not shit on everything else just because we like this version of it. That's what I'm getting at. Likewise, if you're someone who likes the other ver- versions of Sherlock, don't shit on Enola Holmes because it's trying to do something different. That's the bottom line for me. I mean... I haven't seen Enola Holmes yet. I probably will watch watched, it. Remember when we watched all those old Sherlock Holmes from the BBC? Mm-hmm. Everybody has a little bit of a different take on the character, and I and I think that keeps creativity flowing, mm-hmm. honestly. Hopefully... Again, because we, I, I know I've watched nothing of Enola Holmes, and all we're getting are all these, you know, people's opinions on this is why Sherlock Holmes is bad, and this is why, you know, Ben Benedict Cumberbatch was bad, and this is right. better, and I have like, I have been taking, and I'm this is terrible because I'm looking at Facebook right now. I have honestly been taking a uh, kind of a little bit of a break. And I, get, I do it a lot when I'm gone because I don't have ready access to social media. I like social media a lot because I can talk to my friends and send, you know, broad messages to everybody. And I have people all over the world that I care about that I, I can just be like, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. But we have learned that social media is... It's the devil. It's the devil. It just tries to manipulate... <laughs> Here I go. I'm you tripping. You got a new speak. Uh, well, you know, uh, with these, these Invisalign, sometimes I, I, like, trip over my own mouth. Sure, yeah. Use that as an excuse. You've done that shit before well, you got those things. These are worse. It makes me, <laughs> like, when I start talking fast... Anyway, though, like, social media really manipulates the way you see things. Because... Social media knows I have a cat, so I get a hundred different things. You're a bad cat owner if you don't buy this. Oh, you're a good cat owner. Here, buy this. And they they want to hurt your feelings. It really, <laughs> and you know that. So it's easy for people to log into their social media or read an article and somebody basically saying this movie is, you know, it's portrayed in a light that is going to be against what you believe. Or it's portrayed in such a way that it's it's not enjoyable. And we, I don't want to live, I just want to be surprised. And I am really just, I've been reading a lot more. The bottom line is we need to be. Open-minded. Well, we need to be cautioned when we read stuff because that's where we get in trouble. And mm-hmm. that's, I'm guilty of it as well as anybody. Um, 
Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting topic to get to. I did too. We, I, like, until we started really digging deep right this second, I'm like, holy shit, everything is out there. It's like, we purposely didn't watch movies, and we're- Because of that. Because of that, and I'm like, shit, it really affects you. Yeah. Just, if you're a movie fan, just remember, it's a movie. It's okay if it does have, you know, some agenda in it, but, like, it's really a movie, and I think a lot yeah, of... Yeah, you thought, you asked me about whether or not a movie was something that I thought kind of did what I thought it would. At the time, I didn't even think, I didn't read anything about it, didn't know anything about it, and that Knife Plus Heart horror movie that I told you that mm-hmm. was... That's one movie where I think, again, it was designed for the LBGT community, but... The problem with it is it comes across more as like them or their attempt to, I don't know what I want to say, uh, there's, it's like a soft porn movie, but they're like, they're focusing so much on the porn aspect of it that the horror movie kind of gets lost within it. And it's attempt that it's gallo, you know, trying to be a gallo, but. I was just listening to one of your old, um episodes that I'm, I'm really trying to get caught up on his old episodes that were out while I was gone. Explain to me, Gallo. They're basically like thrillers. Um, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Argentos first ones like that. Um, Would you say Silence of the Lambs is a Gallo movie? No, it's all about the way it's presented. Now, I guess in some ways you could kind of say it was, but uh, there's just a certain feel to it. Um... One of the more modern ones is, of course, the, uh, the Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. I hate that movie. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, sort of, it's sort of like a mystery. It's really kind of like a thriller mystery. It's not like true horror. But in this case, they were attempting this. But, you know, you had this gay, gay porn industry that they were incorporating into the storyline. But every time you would turn around, it was like sex and dicks and just... It's not that that shit bothers me so much. But you're like, I thought it was a horror movie, not a softcore Cinemax, you know, Cinemax at night. Right, like, I just, like, okay, I I get it, they're in a porn industry, but why do I need to see sex scenes, like, every five minutes? Mm -hmm. Like, I just, it doesn't make any sense. You're like, there's a lot of dick for a horror movie. Right, and I'm just like, look, okay, I get it, sex is in the movie, but, uh, yeah, whatever. But that's probably the only one that I could say off the top of my head that, like, actually lived up to what it was trying to do and that was push a certain thing and I thought it hurt the movie overall because you know they were trying to really throw it in your face right and it's like if you're gonna do modern stuff like that that's great and especially with uh you know it's not that you're trying again to have a certain demographic that's be a part of that which is the gay and lesbian community which is fine but you're kind of doing a disservice, too, when you're making it all about the sex aspect and not about the actual horror, which is what the original design was supposed to be. So if you're going to do these movies, and like this one we called Bite, uh, I have no idea. It looks interesting, but again, I don't know if it's got an agenda behind it, so I just, I'm just i hesitant to check it out. I may do it at some point. I'll drag Neko with me to do it. <laughs> um <laughs> Nevertheless, it's an interesting topic to to contemplate, and that you know, for people again, we always welcome any kind of comments. No one ever does because you all suck. But oh, comment on our stuff. You can even say that I talk too much because I know when I get on these shows, I take DJ Anubis's two-hour show to a four-hour show. It would be at like 
all day. Mm -hmm. I love talking. All right, our next block of music. New stuff from Undergang and Necrophobic. Classic stuff from Immolation. Necrophobic just has a new record out. It's, called the, um, it's actually called Dawn of the Damned, I believe. This song is called The Infernal Deaths of Eternity. Check it out. We'll be back in a little bit. Be it. Be it.
is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Alright, DJ Nubis. Back with you on Metal Time Radio, Hordes of Chaos, episode 85. DJ Neko had to take a break again, take some calls, uh, so she's taking care of personal business. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and get right into our final doc review for the day. Uh, we came across, and actually I confused this with the John Bonet Ramsey stuff, where the Ramsey doc was more recent. So that's on Netflix, so that's some more recent stuff. Uh, this other one, uh, titled Girl 27, was from 2007. So I mixed up the dates there. But anyway, uh, this is a really interesting doc because it dives into, uh, an issue from, um, 1937, an MGM party held for the salesman at the time for the studios. And, uh... A woman named Patricia Douglas, who was 17 at the time, was recruited by MGM along with uh, 128 other women, I think, or something like that. Uh, mainly, mainly, many of them were all teenagers, so they weren't even of age. But they were told that they were auditioning for movie roles and stuff like this. Now, at the time... A lot of these girls were used for chorus lines and stuff like that, so they didn't really think much of it. So they get there, and there's like a shit ton of booze, a lot of guys. Obviously, the time period, women weren't really respected very well. Uh, but this young woman, uh, Patricia Douglas at the time, ended up getting raped uh, by one of the guys there. And... What ended up happening was she actually went to try to bring this guy to justice by going to the federal courts and whatnot uh, to bring it forward. But she obviously was smeared uh, by the opposing lawyers, um, telling her that she was, you know, a whore and that she had a history. They even did, like, the doctor who worked for the prosecution was basically uh, trying to check her for any kind of venereal diseases. Like, they were going to use anything they could to invalidate her claim about being raped. Now, Patricia Douglas, as she got older, went through a few marriages. Uh, she had uh, a couple of kids, I believe. And um, at one point, she has a daughter, actually, and the daughter is, of course, older now, but Back when they made this doc, uh, the guy that did it was a very nice guy. He was going around. He was trying to get a hold of Patricia because she was still alive. And for a while, she was telling him that she wasn't interested and, like, he should quit calling. And as we learn, when he finally does break through and get to her and, you know, they talk and she discovers that she's been holding on to a lot of anger and animosity not just because he's male or anything but because of life this whole thing really really messed her up and when you think about like the me too movement of today you know if women think it's tough now 
to come forward about stuff like the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Uh, it was nothing like this. Like she, she was very brave to try to take on the establishment back then when it was far worse than you'll ever see today. And you can tell when you watch her interviews, she's much older, obviously, that she is just like a broken woman. Like she lived by herself, even though she had a daughter, she was estranged from her. Um, uh, at times when you listen to the daughter talk, uh, there was some trouble between her and her mom, like just connecting uh, emotionally. So like the daughter always kind of felt like kind of shitty every time her mom would address her about certain things. They never talked about sex in general. Um, so when you listen to Patricia Douglas talk about not even just the rape itself, but her life growing up, it's very, very hard. And you can see that she really didn't want anything to do with anybody. Like, she was just locking herself away for years in, a, in an apartment. And finally, this guy who's doing the doc, you know, he's trying to get the word out, and there's even people like Greta and Fox who were trying to bring attention to it, which is interesting because Neko and I just checked this out the other night. This doc is from 2007, so the fact that no one really talks about it that much especially when it deals pertains with Hollywood and MGM studios. Uh, that's scary, man. Like they just don't want people to know about this stuff. And that's really disturbing on so many levels. Uh, eventually Patricia does start talking about the events that happened. And it's very tough for her. She did pass away probably a few years ago. Can't remember the specific year, but, uh, you that's a perfect she's a perfect example of what happens when a, a trauma like that happens to a woman especially a young woman she was only 17 at the time uh how that shapes your life like she wasn't ever able to overcome that and for you know time and time again people would try to get her to push the issue get back at him and talk about it but she didn't want to Finally, she realized that this guy who was doing a doc that was sincere and she was starting to open up and you can see her finally bringing down those walls to try to accept this guy. She felt bad that she had treated him kind of badly on the phone prior to that. Uh, but that's all out of that, that trauma and the issues that she faced uh, being raped and whatnot. So... It just kind of shows you a lot of the shadiness that goes in Hollywood. And I think even today we still see some of that. And Harvey Weinstein was probably just another product of that. You know, the old school mentality, uh, the couch casting, all this other shit that, you know, he was trying to get away with. So we're now just exposing that. But one thing I find troubling about a lot of it is, you know, in this age right now, where, you know, we're trying to hold people like the president accountable for things he says and does. Hollywood is still kind of skating by, man. They're still getting by with some of these shady tactics, especially when it comes to women. And, and the other part of that is some of the women in the industry itself aren't doing anything to keep the spotlight there. Like, it's like they're protecting their own bubble. And I find that really disturbing. Like, I just, you know, at this stage, like, the only person that I find that's really challenging the status quo is Rose McGowan. Like, she isn't putting up with anybody's shit. Like, she's trying to bring this all to light, but she's also seeing what's going on with Hollywood and how they're trying to protect their own when you have a bunch of this garbage going on. 
and some of these other actresses that work the industry, like they want to be a part of the Me Too movement. They want they have all their own stories, but then they want to protect their careers because they don't want to be opening up to what's going on there. And that's that's a shame because that's where you're going to really strike the hardest. You got to keep it keep Hollywood accountable for what's going on. Keep these studios accountable for this shit. So it's called Girl 27, and uh, it's a very, very interesting story. I highly recommend it. I think this is one that was on Tubi as well. Um, certainly something to check out because it got swept under the rug for so many years on only so many different levels because you just wouldn't know about it unless you actually saw it. And it was the first I had ever heard of anything like this, and it's just they have a lot of cool old photo coverage of it um the the director does a very good job of like integrating that with the storytelling and of course the interviews that he does with um patricia douglas her daughter and a few others who were at the time knew who she was uh so check it out girl 27 certainly worth it we're gonna get into some more music Next block, I got a couple tracks from Grand Sounds uh, promotion in there, but we're going to kick off some brand new stuff from Resin, R-E-Z-N, Inner Architecture. Here we go. I'll talk to you in a few.
Radio getting ready to close this episode 85 out for you all. Hope you all enjoyed the topics, the new music. Special thanks to Sky Nielsen Promotions for continuing to promote us. Uh, big supporter of the podcast. Much appreciated. Much love to her. Lou Yardley, author from the UK. Check out her stuff. She's got a new book called Banish coming out. So check it out for sure. One last track for you all. Uh... This band contacted me 
a couple of years ago, I played a, a track off their EP, I think it was, called The Rotten One from 2018. And very nice bunch uh, out of Belgium. Play their special brand of death metal. Uh, they have a new full-length release coming out called uh, Blood Rain. They sent me some promo tracks for that. And I'm going to have a track here closing it out for you. Uh, very cool band. It uh, looks like they used to be a five-piece. Now they're down to four, I believe, from what I can tell from Metal Archives anyway. A um, couple guys, a couple gals. Uh, the singer, Nuke, um, is pretty damn good. So uh, their new record is pretty solid. I've listened to it. It's very cool shit. This song's called Obsession. I will see you all next time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.